This morning's reading is from 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 through 25. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know what the Lord is going to take? Um, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and two horses of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent fifty men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. 
From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out from the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. A somewhat curious passage, although a favorite with bald men everywhere. <laughs> if we not met, my name is Matt Fuller. It'd be lovely to do so um, just a little after the service. But uh, if you're joining us today, once it's a good time to join, we're um, just starting a, a short series that will be in uh, the first few chapters of 2 Kings, just chapters uh, 2 to 8, looking at the Elisha cycle, this, uh, this man of God. Some famous stories in there, perhaps not so much these. You get the introduction today. But I think you'll love looking at Elisha. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, in your wisdom, you don't just give us epistles in the New Testament and uh, the, the account of the life of Christ. You give us all these stories, the account of your people centuries ago because they are vivid, because they are for our instruction, our tuition, our building up, our rebuking. So, Father, would you be amongst us by your word so that we, yes, understand it rightly, but respond to you as we should. Father, we pray it for your glory, for our good, in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, Uh, now, first glance, then, what you got is a story of a succession from Elijah to Elisha. Now, sometimes successions are dramatic, sometimes uh, a little less so. So uh, earlier in the year, a few months ago, the, uh, the Commonwealth leaders agreed that Prince Charles would succeed the Queen as the head of the Commonwealth, which, you know, fine. Uh, that's not sort of going to change the world dramatically. Charles was very pleased. Good for him. Um, but I don't think it's sort of earth-shattering in, in its consequences. Uh, other times, I guess, succession of a leader more significant. Uh, uh, Mugabe gives way and things change a teeny bit. But you know, sometimes there's a drama when a leader goes. Perhaps sometimes in a church that can be the case. I remember a few years ago, uh, another larger church over over in in, in London, Uh, the senior pastor left. He'd been there almost 40 years, and he'd taken a church which was empty and built it up to, you know, well over a thousand, and, and he was retiring. And I remember chatting to one guy on the search committee, you know, how's it going? I know you're not allowed to tell me a huge amount, but, you know, how's it going? He said, oh, it's a disaster. Everyone is freaking out. They think that now Dick has gone, the world will end. And they think the only person who can replace him is the archangel Gabriel. He's busy, apparently. <laughs> They just need to get a grip and realize that God will provide someone. It's his church, not one individual's. And he was a bit exercised by this. And it's been fine. Uh, it's been fine. But sometimes, of course, that sort of period of succession can be in the boardroom, can be in the, in the parliament, can be in a church. It's a nervous time, perhaps, for people. Here we are in the book of Two Kings. It's about 850 BC, and it's in the middle of a war. The war is between the followers of the Lord within Israel and the followers of Baal within Israel. That may seem a little obscure to you. Let me try and explain. 
God has his people, Israel, and he has established them in the promised land, and he is the source of all that is good. But the majority of the people by this time have started to follow Baal. It's a made-up God, but it's a God that's demanding, even though made up, required child sacrifice, other despicable practices. But the battle at the moment, the war, is not very even-handed. Baal seems to have the upper hand, the king is a worshipper of Baal. His dad, Ahab, some may remember when we looked at 1 Kings uh, uh, last year, Ahab was the worst king that Israel ever had, but his son is pretty bad as well. But uh, So Baal on his side has got the, 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 the government, the military, the overwhelming majority of the populace. Uh, and following the Lord is just 700,000. That's all that's left, we're told, earlier in 1 Kings 19. But what the followers of the Lord have got is Elijah. And as Elijah is described uh, here in our passage in verse 12, he's described, his nickname is the chariots and horsemen of Israel. That's the title that's used for him. Uh, Elisha will later, later get called that. Now, that's quite a good nickname, isn't it? You know, um, let me introduce you to, I don't know, uh, Graham Jordan. He is the, the Air Force and Submarines of the UK. Well, that's quite an impressive nickname, if that's what you're called. You know, you're clearly impressive because Elijah is God's prophet. And with God, the Lord, on your side, you are fine. So some may remember from, uh, it was probably about 18 months ago, in 1 Kings, particularly in chapter 18, you get the sort of climactic battle on Mount Carmel. Elijah versus hundreds of prophets of Baal. And Elijah, it's obvious, he, he comes out on top because he is the Lord's man. So you've got Elijah, you're fine. The problem here is Elijah is about to die. And so emotionally, for those who are faithful to the Lord, put yourself, this doesn't quite work, but put yourself in, in, in 1942 in Europe, and within a day of one another, Churchill and Eisenhower both die, and it's 42, and the balance is just... The tide hasn't quite turned. We've not had Midway Island, or if you like your history. The, the, the tide hasn't quite turned. And all of a sudden, the two titans go. You panic. Which that sort of emotional impact here. Apart from, it's not just you're losing your leader. You're losing the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Uh, the one who really is God's man. But really, chapter 2 is here to say, you don't panic. God will provide the leader that you need. And for you and for me, we'll see, we'll still have the leader we'll need, perhaps more than almost any other figure in the Old Testament. Uh, Elisha is meant to teach us about Jesus. We'll see that in a little why, why that is a little later. But when you look at the prophet Elisha in these next few chapters, and we see him feeding the 4,000 with hardly any food, when we see him raising a little girl from the dead by going into her room, lying with her, or, you know, just lying in her room. These are all things that Jesus will later do in his ministry. So we look at Elijah, you learn about Jesus Christ. We have the leader that we need. No, don't worry, don't worry. 
Now, just uh, one little thing before we really get going. This is all one passage that uh, it's meant to be one uh, and held together the, that uh, uh, we had read for us. Just, if we have a look at the map, that just shows you that pretty quickly. Because um, the, the, here's the pattern. Here's what Elijah and Elisha do. They go from Mount Carmel in Samaria to Bethel to Jericho. They cross the Jordan. And then as the narrative goes all the way back to the end of the chapter, so verse 18, Elisha goes to Jericho, uh, verse 23 to Bethel, verse 25 back to Samaria. So it's meant to be held together. That's the point. That's why you get these geographical markers, okay? So you're not meant to chop it all up into little bits. It's one whole story. Okay, two things. Two things just going to look at. Uh, but if you're, um, if you're eagle-eyed, you'll see it's secretly four, but don't ignore that, it's two. Uh, two things, one to 15, here's what we learn about Elisha. He's faithful and anointed, one to 15, and then he heals and he curses, 16 to 25. Right? And in that, he teaches us about Jesus. He's faithful and anointed, and he heals and he curses. First, in these 15 verses at the beginning of the chapter, he's faithful and anointed. I think really that's the point of verses 1 to 6 is that he's faithful. It's a slightly odd dialogue. Did you get that when it was read? Uh, when Christy read it for us, it's a bit like someone's got a bit overexcited in cutting and pasting in word. And you get the same thing over and over again. So three times Elijah says, leave me. And three times Elijah says, no, twice. The other prophets say, hey, Elijah's off. Oh, shut up. Um, he replies, you, do you see that? So you get this re- repetition. Verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha on their way from Gilgal, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elisha said, nope. As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I'll not leave you. They went to Bethel. Company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you? To, yes, I know. So be quiet. Then Elijah said, stay here. Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And here we get the repeat. As he replied, so surely as the Lord lived and you live, I'll not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company, the prophets at Jericho went up to Elijah and asked him, do you know? Yes, I know. Now be quiet. We've had this conversation before. And then the third time, can you believe it? If you were Elijah, you might get a bit irritated, even though you love the man. Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And you might think, all right, this is, you know, this is not electric dialogue, is it? But the point is, Elijah won't leave him. Elisha will not leave his master, his father figure. Even though he's given the chance to do so, Would you just turn back a few pages to 1 Kings 19, just so we try and understand this, what's going on here. It's page 361. And here is when Elisha first gets commissioned. Page 361. I'm going to read uh, chapter 19, just pick it up from... um, the middle of verse 15, bottom of that column. Go to the desert. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Yehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Yehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. That's all the believers that were around at the time. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, 
He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the 12 pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elijah left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Okay. So this is years earlier. Elijah says, come with me. Elisha says, yeah, I will, and I'll, burn, I'll, I'll rip up my job. This really is burning your bridges. Well, he's burning his source of income. He burns his oxen and, and, his, uh, and his plow. I'm with you, Elisha. Here in Two Kings, Elijah's saying, Look, are you going to take over from me, really? This is, this is it now, Elisha. You can stay behind if you want. No, 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 I'm with you. Okay. Now, Elisha, let me tell you, it is no fun being God's prophet. It sounds like a great title, being the horsemen and chariots of Israel. It's quite a burden, you know. And you're going to have to stand up to enormous provocation the people who want to follow Baal, the king, his military. Elisha, you don't have to do this. You, you could duck out. No, I, I, I'm with you. I'll stick with you. So Elisha is loyal and he's faithful. He says, no, Elijah, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I'm with you to the end. We'll come back to that. He's faithful. And then he's anointed. That's what's going on in the, uh, the second half, really, 7 to 15. He's anointed. Strange again, isn't it? Verse 7 of uh, chapter 2 in 2 Kings. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. Okay. The water divided to the right and to the left, and as the two of them crossed, and then the two of them crossed over to dry ground. Right? When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Well, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it'll be not. Now, what's going on here? Can I have a double portion of your spirit? This is not like going into McDonald's and saying, supersize me. I just want a bit more. It means, can I inherit your role? By the laws of Deuteronomy, uh, the eldest son got a double portion of the land. If you have two children... Uh, when the, the, the father dies, the land is divided into three, and the oldest child gets two portions, a double portion. That is so that the, the, the plot is sort of held together, the family holding holds together. Okay? Simple, let me inherit your role, is what he's saying. Let me inherit your role. Please let me inherit the spirit of the Lord if I'm going to replace you. Uh, Elijah goes. He uh, goes up in the whirlwind, and uh, there's sadness, there's grief. Uh, there's tearing of clothes. And then there's a question in uh, verse 14. So Elisha takes the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. He struck the water with it. Question, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Now, at this point, he's a bit nervous. <laughs> okay, Elijah's gone. Where now is the Lord? Uh, are you with me, Lord? Uh, have I inherited the role? And the answer, well, the water divides, just like it did for Elijah. And the company of the prophets, verse 15, well, they're watching. They said, oh, yeah, okay. The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elijah. And uh, they went and bowed to the ground before him. 
He has indeed been anointed to replace Elijah. He is the replacement. Now, why this sort of slightly odd miracle? You, you, you get a cloak and you slap the water and it divides. I mean, it's quite a useful power, particularly when there's Brexit and there's sort of chaos at the Channel Tunnel. You had that sort of power, that'd be quite useful. Oh, you know, there's, there's sort of bad delays, no worry. We just make our own way across. That'd be a, a useful sort of skill to have, I guess, but it's a bit quirky. Why this? The reason is there's an obvious parallel being drawn. Old Testament, Moses famously. Moses is the one who parts the Red Sea and takes Israel through when they're escaping from the horsemen and the chariots of Pharaoh in Exodus 14 and 15. Moses parts the Red Sea. And then when Moses departs, he passes on the leadership of Israel to Joshua. And Joshua's a little bit nervous. But in the early stages of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, He says to the people, look, we're going to go and cross through the Jordan. And so that you may know that the Lord is with me, I'm going to part the waters. So Moses hands over the leadership to Joshua and says, look, watch me part the river Jordan. Because I can do what Moses did. Because God is still with us. So here you've got another succession. And throughout 1 Kings, Elijah is presented as another Moses. Moses went up Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah went up Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And now, just as Moses passed on to Joshua, now Elijah passes on to Elisha. And they both part the sea, the Jordan, and then they bring it uh, back together again. That's what's being highlighted Moses, Joshua, much the same with Elijah and Elisha. Joshua, the name in Hebrew, the Lord saves. Elisha, God saves. The parallel is being drawn for us. And in the Old Testament, there are two places where God does extraordinary signs and wonders, miracles. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha. Otherwise, they don't exist. Those are the two, one sense, high points of the Old Testament. And you get to the New Testament. I'd rather put a couple of these references down on your sheet. For example, Matthew 17, the, uh, the, the disciples come to Jesus and say, look, isn't it true that before the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come back, because like, that's what's promised in Malachi 4? And Jesus says, yeah, that's right, and Elijah's come. John the Baptist was the second Elijah. Oh, Right. And of course, in Matthew 3, Jesus appears before John the Baptist. Where does he appear before him? At the River Jordan. And he's anointed. And the Spirit comes and descends upon Jesus. This is an obvious biblical pattern being drawn for us. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, Jesus. The point being, you have the man that you need. It doesn't matter if it's... 1400 BC with Moses, Joshua, 850 BC, Elijah, Elisha, or 30 AD. That's the connection we're meant to get. Okay, so what? Well, for you and me, I guess we need to see more clearly, perhaps, or see in different lights that Jesus is the faithful one and the anointed one that we need. 
He's faithful to his Father, faithful to his mission of salvation. He's faithful to you and to me. And I don't know what this week is like for you. Maybe this is a week where you need to hear very clearly that Jesus says to you, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Promise he makes in Hebrews 13. To every believer, never will I leave you nor forsake you, no matter what things look like. Uh, some will know my, uh, my mother hasn't got a huge amount of time to live. I went and saw her in her hospice on Friday afternoon. I've been thinking about this. We opened the Bible and uh, we talked about that. Mom, even in a hospice with people dying around you, you do know, don't you, that Jesus says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He will be with you to the end. He's here. She needed to know that. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus is faithful. He's the one we need. And then secondly, more briefly, he's, uh, he heals and he curses. That's what Elijah does here. He heals and he curses. In the second half of the chapter, verses 16 to 25, you get these three little incidents. Uh, the first one from verse 16 is basically the point is that Elijah really has gone. You get this slightly odd story, the, uh, the 50 prophets. You, you, get the, you get the idea in this story. They're sort of, they're not the greatest of helpers, are they? You know, hey, uh, Elijah, the, the man you love more than any in the world, he's going today. Yeah, I do know that, thanks. Do you, do you realize you, the man you love is, is going to go today? Yeah, thanks. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, then he does go. And, oh, look, you're in charge now. Should we go and find Elijah? No, he's gone. No, no, we'll go and find him. All right, idiots, off you go and find him. The point of that little story is he really has gone. Okay. And then you get these two parallel incidents, well, two, two, the two that go together, Jericho and Bethel. Elisha heals, and he curses. So first of all, he heals in a Jericho, verses 19 to 22. So verse 18, uh, Elisha's in Jericho. Verse 19, the people of the city said to Elisha, that's the people of Jericho, look at our Lord, this town, it's, it's well situated, as you can see, but the water's bad, the land is unproductive, bring me a new bowl, he said, and put some salt in it. They brought it to him, then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says, I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. Okay, great, very useful. Bet myself some of that salt next time I go to a malarial country or, you know, where there's a sort of bad water. Of course, that's not the point. The point of these two incidents, he heals and he curses, again, to show that he really is a prophet. Jericho. Jericho in the Old Testament is a city under curse. You don't go to Jericho on holiday. It's a little bit like saying... You know, Chernobyl, you know, mid-80s, nuclear accident, nuclear fallout, the land is desolate, everything dies anywhere nearby, and they're saying, oh, I'm going to Chernobyl. Well, why would you do that? It's, it's a cursed place, you could say. Jericho is a place under curse. All the way back in Joshua chapter 6, when um, uh, Jericho opposed uh, Joshua and, and the people, 
you remember they, they walked around the city seven times, the walls collapsed down. And at that time, in Joshua 6, uh, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn son, he'll lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he'll set up its gates. Okay, just don't rebuild Jericho. It's a bad place. Uh, but then you get Ahab, the worst king that Israel ever had, and 1 Kings 16, he rebuilds Jericho. And so... In Ahab's time, here, Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid his foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. He set up its gates at the cost of his second son, Segob, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua. Look, this is a cursed city. God says, don't rebuild it. If you do, your kids will die. And so under Ahab, it's rebuilt and the kids die. Miserable. Now here, 2 Kings 2, the people of Jericho come out to Elisha and say, look, The land is unproductive. Literally, the land is barren. Or the land suffers miscarriages. Presumably the the livestock and, and the people do. Because that's a curse. Old Testament language, Deuteronomy 28. If the people are not faithful, the land is cursed. It's barren. Elisha gets some salt and uh, chucks it, and there's nothing magical about the salt. It's just an action, sort of emphasizing what his word is doing. And verse 21, the outcome is, the land is, well, the water is healed. The land will never again be unproductive. Literally, again, the land will never again miscarry, be barren. What's the point of that? Joshua, excuse me, Elisha has undone a curse on the most cursed place there is, really, in the Old Testament. Even Jericho is not beyond God's grace. That's the point. Elisha can heal even Jericho, the most sin-laden, curse-burdened place there is, because the people say, help. I guess the point for the 21st century is, well, no one is beyond the salvation of the Lord. You just need to say, help. Forgive me. Not Jericho. Earlier in the year, we looked at, um, in the book of Acts, not Paul. It's grace for anyone when they ask for forgiveness. I read in the week about um, an Open Doors um, publication. It was just you know, Open Doors who um, try and support the persecuted church around the world. I was just reading one of their newsletters. It had the story about a man called Tahir. Tahir was a Muslim man from Iran. His, uh, his wife and three children became Christians. Uh, they met uh, a Christian worker there, and uh, so his family became Christians. This, of course, a massive disgrace for Tahir and his family, and so he beat them. He beat his wife so badly she was hospitalized. He said, you, you give up the faith or my, me and my brothers will kill you, wife and three children. And horrific. So they fled, uh, they fled overseas and they've been granted asylum overseas. To hear left on his own, distraught, brought low emotionally. And uh, one night, he, this is all kind of, he started dreaming of his family. He missed his family, was dreaming about what they'd said to him about why they'd become Christians, about how he should become a Christian, that he could be forgiven anything he'd done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Bola Kanzi, in the middle of the night, he got up and said, all right, all right, can it be true 
I, I, I see what I've done, how I treated my family is appalling. I see that. I was more concerned with my reputation in the community. I, I see that. Can it be true? Can you forgive me? And he became a Christian, and the family reconciled. And life is still not straightforward for them because they're in Iran. But you see, there's grace for anyone who asks for forgiveness. For a brutal man like Tahir, for a city such as Jericho, there's always grace. So uh, Elijah, he heals, and then very briefly he curses. This story at the end, verses 23 to 25 Uh, Elijah went up to Bethel. Now again, in in this period in Israel's history, Bethel is the center point of of rejection of the Lord. When the kingdom of Israel splits, um, uh, uh, Solomon dies and the kingdom splits. Uh, Rehoboam is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam says, well, the people are going to want to go back to Jerusalem. We must set up a rival to Jerusalem. He sets it up in Bethel. He puts a golden calf in Bethel. Bethel again is a symbol of evil. It's a metonym for, for, for evil. You know, if I say to you, Auschwitz, that has a sort of whole association with it of wickedness, of, of a regime, of, of, of immorality, despicable behavior. I don't need to say anymore. Bethel has that same connotation in the ninth century BC. It's a wicked place. And so Elisha wanders through Bethel and a gang of youths jeer at him. Yeah, go on up, Baldy. Uh, get out of here. It's literally go on up, or, or you might translate. Yeah, keep walking, Baldy. Keep walking, Baldy. We don't want you around here. We know who you are, Baldy. Yeah, yeah, you're God's prophet. You just keep on walking through, slaphead. Go on, go on, off you go. Uh, and oh, then uh, 42 of them get mauled by bears. Oh. 42 of them, so presumably there's a larger group than that. I guess it's a bit like a a sort of drunken gang of football hooligans chanting, jeering. What is the issue here? Well, of course, it's not just they're mocking the follically challenged Elisha. He's God's prophet, we've just been told. He's the new chariots and horsemen of Israel. And so if they're mocking him, they're mocking the Lord. And all the way back in Leviticus 26, you get told, look, if you mock the Lord, he may well send wild animals to kill you. Very dramatic, of course. But the the youths, they couldn't say they weren't warned. These are covenant bears. You know, these are bears promised in the Old Testament at some point. Golly. But the point for us, I guess, is that, look, Elisha is the true prophet. He enforces God's word, he heals, and he restores. What's the difference between Jericho and Bethel? Jericho say, help. We need the Lord's help. Bethel says, shove off, Baldy, and your God. You just keep on going. We're not interested in you here. That's the difference. If you ask the Lord for grace, there is always more. There's always more. Mock him, and at some point, the end of history, he does say, look, enough, enough, that justice will come. 
So here, two kings, two. It's just the introduction, really. It's just the introduction to Elisha. We get going on the uh, sort of more dramatic stories in the weeks to come. But I guess the point for the believers in the ninth century, here's relief. Elijah's gone. What are we going to do? Elijah's gone. What are we going to do? It's okay. It's okay. The Lord is still the Lord, and he's give you, he'll give you his man. And you have Elisha. Uh, and the God who performed miracles in Egypt is still the same God of the ninth century BC. He's still the same God in the first century when Jesus comes, the greater Elisha. And he's still the same God today. And we still have the Lord Jesus. You're okay. Uh, maybe this is a week where you just need to say to yourself, because of what's going on, it's a bad week. But Jesus has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. I will not. I will not do that. He's faithful to us. He graciously heals. Oh, look, eventually he'll punish. But never will he leave or forsake his people. We have the leader we need. It's okay. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, these are strange stories to us in 2018. But thank you that you fill in, you deepen, you expand our understanding of the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we just see a little from a different angle that for him to be faithful to you and to his mission and therefore to us, it, it was costly there were always chances where he could turn aside and take another option. Father, thank you that he's faithful. Thank you for the clarity that he is the one who both heals and judges, yes. And so we thank you that even today, there's more grace. No one is ever beyond the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So would that be of encouragement and comfort to us? Would we know that it's never too late to turn to him? Father, thank you that in him we have the one, the leader, that we need. We praise you in his name. Amen.